Hey y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith Podcast here at Outsider Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. This is a really good one. And my guest today has been a mentor to me. He's been a brother to me. He's been one of the greatest examples in my life. Casey Bethard, arguably, if you ask his peers, definitely, the greatest, most talented, most vulnerable songwriter in this town. He has written monsters for artists like Kenny Chesney, No Shirt, No Shoes, No Problems. Guys like Gary Allen, right where I need to be, and certainly Eric Church. Hell of a view, Mr. Misunderstood, homeboy, like Jesus does, Leonard Skinner Jones, on and on and on. These amazing cuts throughout Eric's career. And not only that, he's also an amazing testimony. Many of you may know that his son Clay was murdered here in Nashville right before Christmas in 2019. And the grace Casey carries every single day in his life is an unbelievable example for us all, certainly me. Here's my friend Casey Bethard on the Marty Smith Podcast here at Outsider Studios. So as I said in the open, uh, this man has been just such an amazing influence in my life without even trying. I'm so grateful for your spirit. Uh, it has impacted millions of people. And we'll get into that as we go, but we're going to start with the family business. All right, we're going to start with some football. Okay. What role did that game play in making you the person that you are? Wow, that was, uh, I think it was everything because I, I was born into, uh, uh, into training camps and just being, grew up around every hero or mentor you ever had, let alone my father, you know, and to be able to grow up in that situation where you could watch, see how uh, uh, men grew and how, how, what they ate and what they did and how they were coached and how they were disciplined. It was just, it made it easy to want, just do that, to, 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 that's what you wanted to be. You want to, you want to be a football player and you want to be part of a team where, uh, with a common goal. And so my brothers and I were just com constantly uh, pretending we were one of the guys we were around and just playing football playing sports and dividing up teams no matter where we were. If it was a, if we had a ping pong ball in an airport and we were three years old, we'd throw it, we were throwing it and playing it and, you know, uh, whatever we had or we'd roll up a t-shirt or something and play some kind of sport from as, as far as I can remember. You talk about uh, mingling with your heroes. I mm -hmm. mean, Casey, we're talking about Art Monk. Yeah. Ricky Sanders. Mm -hmm. Gary Clark, John Riggins, yes. Joe Theismann, yeah, all the Dexter Manley, Charles yeah. Mann, all those guys, right? Yes. I, I, what, what was it like being a little guy running around those training camps with those guys just there? Well, that's the thing is before then it was even it was the Dolphins, and uh, the that was a you know the still undefeated season. Those guys, I've got a picture at the, at the house that I'm walking through a training camp parking lot in uh, Biscayne College outside of Miami. And I'm about thigh high on, on, on Larry Zonka. And he's got his arm around me walking with me. And he was one of my biggest mentors ever. I mean, I, I, used to, I felt like one of his kids and he'd take me every, everywhere, every time I saw him. I remember after the Vikings Super Bowl in Rice Stadium, uh, he was getting interviewed after that Super Bowl and on a bunch of bales of hay and I was walking by and I was young and he grabbed me and put me up on his lap while he was being interviewed after that winning that Super Bowl and so that's how it was you know yeah it, it was pretty it was pretty crazy but you stopped getting this it became so so normal that you stopped getting starstruck you know I just I just wasn't it was just normal. I, I thought every kid did it. We ran around barefoot and played hide and seek in Don Shula's office. We did. We ended up under his desk when he'd come in there and we'd go, "Oh, sorry." And we, this is horrible to say, but we used to call him Don. We just called him Don, without even thinking about the respect factor and all that stuff back then. It was just, 
oh, sorry, Don. We were and brothers were running and trying to find us. You know, it was it was it's crazy. I look back and go, what a life, what a life. It was crazy. And you played. What kind of player were you? Played in high school, go to Elon, play in college? Oh, I was the best player there was. I should have been man. drafted, you know. And the, no, how, uh, how, they, how, does, how does that stature not exactly. end up in the draft? I don't it, I, that's what I'm saying. I know. It's uh, um, When I hit, I went to, uh, I kind of, I just figured I was, my brothers went on and played afterwards. Uh, uh, they got scholarships to smaller schools, ended up at Towson State in Maryland. And um, I just figured I'd get one, too, or something. And I was a, I was a quarterback, a safety, a receiver in, in, in high school. And I always thought, because my uncle, my uncle who was a, my uncle Pete, my dad's brother, he was a first-round draft pick. And he, uh, he played at Southern Cal and was drafted by the Chiefs when my dad was there, actually, as a scout. And... Uh, my dad always told me that, man, he was 5'7 in his junior year in high school. So I just held on to that. I was holding on to that. I know man, I'm going to get to 6'2. I'm, I'm going to. to. I mean, I'm going to get to 6'2 <laughs> by the time this thing's over. And uh, nothing happened. I went to a prep school up in Pennsylvania, and I had to learn a lot of everything. I needed discipline. I needed everything. You know, I wasn't. I didn't take school seriously, I didn't, you know, a lot of things. And it was great for me to spend an extra year. Then I, some doors opened at small schools and I ended up at Elon College. Uh, and I got to play receiver there and return punts and kicks. And, and, I, and you know, and, and we took a lot of transfers. And being around, uh, you know, from bigger, bigger schools, we'd take some renegades and some great guys. And, and, and when you're, when you, really mature in that in that business and that stuff and then you watch what real athletes with with the ones that make it really look like it's not it just you do the math and, <laughs> and you know when i was a freshman in college i knew i was just like man okay you know it, i i had a great five years i got to i got to play a lot and do a, do a lot of things but i knew i knew i wasn't i wasn't going to be I would that that was it for me. It's a very unique moment when you when you realize that. Yes. I don't care what level you achieve, whether you make yeah. it to your senior year of high school, whether you end up yeah. being Peyton Manning or Tom Brady and playing yes. the league for 150 years. Right. When it's over, it's a void. This void is, is very difficult to fill. Yes. What was that for you when when you had to give up the game? Yeah, that was that was tough. I mean, uh, you know. I went into my redshirt senior year, and um, it, it, it was a it wasn't a very good season. It wasn't a good season. We we didn't. I think we won one game out of twelve. And but uh, I honestly, I, I think the one thing I held on to, I could feel a little bit of a shift in in passion for. I had begun just taking everything I'd ever you know start. I was, I've always been a writer and an expressor of my feelings on, and, a, and a letter writer, and note things, story maker, upper, and <laughs> and I learned to play and I and I was and I loved to sing, but I never put the two together until my junior or senior year of college, and then that became like a a passion that kind of it wasn't a, a gigantic transition. It was just well, I love to do this. I don't know what I'll do with it. I mean, uh, you know, I'm now it's coming to a point I'm going to have to get a real job and it's probably not going to, I'm not going to be a pro football player. So what am I going to do? And I didn't think that was a realistic thing to fulfill of writing or singing music. I just, uh, I just, I love to do it. And I just kind of kill more time trying to learn more about that. So yeah. when did you make the decision that you were going to go ahead and chase it? Yeah, I, I well, I got back home. My dad had left the Redskins when I was a junior in in, in college, and went out to San San Diego yeah. to work with the Chargers. And um, after my, I wasn't going to go out to California and live. I, I just went back up to Manassas, Virginia. And honestly, I I thought, well, with the uh, education, the business degree, you probably ought to 
it just wasn't such a big viable thing that a kid that grew up in Virginia, that area, there was no, you play in bars and, you know, and, and, and play in the house and in your bedroom and try to form a band, but there was no real, I didn't, I didn't even have any idea how to do that. And I had no, nobody in my life, my dad or anybody that knew what do you do next? No frame of reference no. to get there. Yeah. No, my my bro, my oldest brother was a coach. My young, my next brother was a scout. My sister was in college, and everybody. That's all anybody did was was sports and football. So my dad was like, "Well, so now what?" And I go, "Dad, I'm just going to get a job, and I'll, I'll get a business job." And I uh, went back up to Virginia and was just playing every time I was off. Man, I I I found this headhunter, and I and and. I got a beeper sales job. Oh my gosh! It was couldn't and totally. <laughs> Motorola. Yeah, it was like the first time. It was the newest and coolest beeper you could. It, this one wasn't just a beeper. It could text out like thirty words. First time it ever. It would say what you needed. And uh, give me your was, sales pitch. I, I I literally would go up. And this was cold calls. I get. I made zero money unless it was all. Um, whatever that's called commission right? commission all yeah. commission and i had these i went through training and then i i'm the worst salesman i'm that i i don't like being on stage i don't like all that stuff but anyways i'd go to these places where they give you you know leads on these new companies and a place like this you'd go come up to a window at a door and they might buzz you in and i literally got to a point of opening the door and telling the lady at the front desk hey uh you don't think anybody here would want one of these, would you? It's a really cool beeper, and they're like, no, man, we're no solution. Get out. And I'm like, all right. And I'd turn around, and I'd go to my brother's house, who was like, when he was off season, he'd just be hanging out with his buddies and looking at film or doing. I'd go there, and he was the only guy I could possibly sell a beeper to because he was like, man, this is cool, man. And he thought it was, and he didn't ever do anything with it. But, uh, so I, I, I finally quit that. I was going out at night planning playing in these, a couple of certain bars in Alexandria, Virginia, and uh, went in some contests and went and started playing in between these band sets and playing my own songs. And it was crazy one night in the back of a bar, uh, some guy just said, man, you, you're pretty good, man. You ought to, you ought to get out of here. Go, go do this. And I was like, yeah, what's that? What does that look like? And he said, you go to Nashville. And I said, man, hmm, Nashville. I've never been to Nashville. I've been to Johnson City and played, played Carson Newman, but I've never been to Nashville. I saw signs for Knoxville, and I thought it was pretty cool. But I was like, okay, well, I got six months left on this old farm I was renting with some guys. And, and I just made up my mind. I said, okay, at the end of this rent, I'm out. I'm just driving. I've never been there, but I'm going to drive there go and see what it's like and what was it like uh it was uh i mean it was awesome i, I had an old roommate from college that i got family down on the other side of, of, of nashville in in linville and lexington Ten tennessee uh, uh or, or no not no it wasn't linville it was uh somewhere lexington and mckenzie area of tennessee and west tennessee and i'll ride down there and i'll just catch a flight back i said all right so we drove, I put a TV in my bags and something in the back of a truck, just like the, every song says. And I drove and I had like a thousand bucks I'd saved up and, uh, and, I, uh, and I drove right there, I drove right through Nashville and looked at it. And I was like, dang, yeah, okay, wow, we're here. And we kept driving about two more hours to the other side where my, my buddy had, had some family farm and I could stay there. I was like, what, this is two, two hours outside of this? <laughs> this sucks. This, what do I do here? And then he, he left. Here's the crazy thing. So this is, what, this is what's absolutely crazy. So I drive to this, this, this modular home on a farm in Lexington, Tennessee. We stay there, and this guy named Ben Jr., his cousin, my friend Doug's cousin, said, you can stay in this room right here in this little single bed in this room. And, Doug ended up going back, and I was sleeping in this room, and I'd get up and just go, man, what am I doing here? I got I to gotta go to Nashville. And they're like, yeah, okay, well, you could drive in. There. So I drove in a couple times and set up, found an apartment. 
came back out and uh, would stay there. And I'm like, man, I'm going to go. I'm going to go for good. Went there and then a couple nights, I found some, what you do is I, I realized you find, didn't know a soul. I was sitting against the wall in my, in my apartment. I got a paper and I found open mic nights. And I'd go down the, uh, they were common. And so there would be a line and you just go sign up and get a chance to play two songs. I met a guy in line that said, man, you're gonna need a job. I ended up at the Country Music Hall of Fame in the gift shop making, I, I don't know, it was like 350 an hour. And, and my dad, my dad was never ashamed or he'd just call and go, hey man, how you doing? And he'd dad, I got a job, where are you? I'm in the gift shop at the Country Music Hall of Fame. He's like, oh, okay, that's good. He's like, man, well, how can I help? What can I do? And I'm like, man, well, can I help you? Man, we could use a scout. You sure? He was trying to rescue me yeah. from this. And I was like, nah, I like it. I liked it. I loved starting from the bottom and doing everything. I ran into a girl that was giving tours there, and I was like, huh, that, that's pretty crazy, this girl is. She's she's pretty hot and next thing you know we started talking and she came out to one of my writers nights and reluctantly because she didn't care about country music or any of that she just got out of martin uh university ut yes, martin, martin yeah. was coming there trying to find what she was going to do too young and, and like a little younger than me but she was just and we were trying to find our way and i talked to her one night and i was like dang i think this is my wife Turns out, she's from, uh, we started hanging out. My old buddy comes back and, hey, I'm going back to the farm, why don't you ride with me, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, well, where are you going? I said, well, I'm gonna go for the night down there. And I'm from the other side of the highway, my, where I grew up. And where, where are you going? Ben Douglas, my, my mom used to date Ben Douglas. What? And, she, and, and then she, she used to, when they'd stay there, go there across the interstate there, she was, her bedroom was my first bed I ever slept in in Tennessee. Was the same bedroom in the same bed. Hey man, that's weird, you know that? That's not weird, that's just the Lord working yep. his way at things out that's the way amazing. he does, it's just crazy. So this ends up being my wife for now, 28, 29 years. But anyways, uh, yeah, and then that's what it was like. And I remember my dad going, hey, uh, I remember, one morning, I woke up to him calling. He said, hey, uh, what do you make? What are you doing? How are you doing? I said, I'm good, Dad. I'm, ends are meeting. Everything's good. I'm, I'm meeting some people. My songs are getting better. I'm, I think the buzz is going around. I'm, he goes, well, what, are you, what are you making a month? And I was like, and I remember laying in bed on my back, and I had the phone on my head. Man, I think it's... I think it's about like 750 a month. And he's like, and I go, it's pretty good, you know? And he's like, and he, I remember him chuckling. He goes, well, we were sitting there. I remember him with his player personnel director, Billy Devaney, and he said, me and Billy were thinking we could, we could probably, if you want to scout, do some scouting for us, we need some help in the Southeast. We'll, tip, we'll pay you 2,000 bucks a month if you want to. And I was like, good. Two thousand bucks a month—that's crazy. <laughs> I was like, man, I, I I can't pass that up. So, I actually did a stint of scouting for him for about six months, up and through the draft. I, what he do? He put he put me on the road with my brother to learn the ropes, and and because I've always been around it, I've sat in every room. He always, Dad used to always write out scouting reports on us, just just that's for cool. the heck of it. That's cool. You know, he'd get you know letterhead of the Redskins or the Dolphins and go Casey Beathard uh, five foot one and he <laughs> plays at the whatever you know when you're playing Little League and he does it he needs some of this and needs some of that but he'll be a blah 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 and so we knew how the, the what you look at and what your gut what the gut feeling was I think I always thought my dad that was his thing his just his instincts and his gut that's where that kind of passed down we just saw people and players it was kind of an innate thing to to be able to uh, judge. Seems like character and and playing ability 
since we were young, and because we went on so many trips and scouting trips with him, and sat in stands and looked at players and and worked at workouts, and we got to you know just be at every practice and watch and see ask him why people got cut, why you cut, why these friends of ours when we were kids, and you know why would you cut him? And you talk about it, you know. And so you find out what they were looking for, and you found out what I didn't have, why I couldn't play, and um, what was important to on that level, and what he thought was important. And uh, so it was naturally kind of easy to go in and start learning to be a scout. But I would drag my guitar everywhere I went on these trips, and and I'd do reports, hurry up, and then do my reports in hotel rooms. And uh, then I'd get on my guitar. And I realized after that first draft, I was probably, uh, went out in maybe a December, and then drafts are usually in April, so whatever that is. I was probably five months into that job. Or I did go through the fall, because I went through a lot of fall practices and watch practice. And, and um, I just knew, I was like, man, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I quit. And he's like, really? How'd he react? He's like, you don't want to do it anymore? I go, nah, Dad, I, I just, it's taken away from my, I love the music. I'm missing, I'm missing sitting in the, you know, getting a chance to be with my buddies and play and write songs. And I go, I like it. I know it sounds crazy, but I like it. And he was, he's just been a, he's such a great dad. He's just full support. Whatever I could do, whatever, you know, in fact, because me being here and just going through all those avenues of trying to figure it out, and my wife and I going through it together, uh, and then the kids and all that stuff, he first, and my brothers and my sister, everybody moved here just to be around here over the years. So uh, yeah, he just, it was one, I remember one time, uh, it was for, probably three or four or five years in. I had a bunch of roommates, a bunch of my kids and a bunch of roommates living in this house out in the country and in, in Nashville. And we were starting, to, we were moving and we moved to this little house out in uh, south and near Franklin. And, and then uh, uh, he came and checked out the house, tiny house. We had my fourth child, my daughter was born in that house. Because we didn't have insurance, we didn't have anything, man. We were we were barter system, having kids. I'm, I literally, I promise you, I had roommates in this first house in Nashville. We would go, hey guys, y'all stay down here. We're gonna have, we're at Susan's having the baby today. Don't come down here and make, you know. And they just stay in another room and watch TV. What? Yeah, I didn't have, I didn't think about it. I had, I had, you know, I was my jobs were. Uh, didn't they didn't come with benefits at all so uh and i wasn't working with the chargers anymore so when i started having kids it was like dang we don't have insurance or anything my dad and i didn't ever want to go to my dad i don't sure. want to play that card and so we worked out a deal with uh we found out through a friend that there's a thing called midwives and mm -hmm. we worked out of the barter system with her where I'd, i i i went through high school doing some landscaping summer jobs and some painting and all that stuff so I knew how to paint and landscape and I'd trade that and maybe maybe seven or eight hundred bucks if she would birth my kids and give us give them checkups and then so hey man I'll trim that hedge <laughs> if she right. delivers yeah. my my daughter that's right deal yeah, that's right <laughs> so that's how we did it that's it, unbelievable yeah Casey. yeah and then uh but it got to a point that, honestly, when we, when, when our last daughter, my last daughter, Tatum, who's 11 now, that was a big surprise after all of our kids were grown. I mean, obviously, you could, even with Charlie, my, my, my fourth child, she, we could afford it then, but I think she just felt more comfortable doing it this way. So I was, I, I didn't have to go paint and do that anymore, <laughs> but I could pay her you know, whatever she needed to get paid, but we wanted to do them at home. The last two was a choice of ours to go, yeah, let's do this. And the other ones were just, uh, just 
irresponsibility of having kids when you probably couldn't afford it and just but this is what we did and and uh, uh, <laughs> and it was just a, just a blessing it worked out that way that you know I loved it you know that's what we did and uh, so then we moved out to this the, the, like that little house and and I, this is when it really hit home I remember Susan found a piece of property and she wanted to buy and and I trusted her and I was like, okay, if that's what we should do, I, I don't know. And we bought it. And then when she found a builder, she like, she started talking about that because we hit a lick on a couple songs, which was, uh, I mean, a little lick. And then, uh, but it was more money than we'd ever seen. And then, and then we hit a, uh, another song really broke through. I think it was uh, was it right where I need to be? Yeah, it was right where I need that to be. Was a that started getting monster. heard, but then those shoes came out after that, oh, and yeah. that started making okay. a difference. And so that's so, when it really started clicking. Yeah, but it, it still right. didn't click for my dad, so really? he didn't get it. So I'm, one day I call, I go, Dad, you know, we got this house. I, what do you suggest of? Uh, we were thinking. I know it's for taxes. It helps to have the payment. What do you What do you do, Dad, on with your house? Would you Would you pay it off or just uh, use it for a tax write off? And he was totally, you know, blindsided. Like, well, pay it off. What are you What are you talking about? What How you How would you pay it off? And I go, well, these songs. I bet they. I've made enough money to to pay off the, this house we're in. And then he goes, wait a minute. What's a, what do you mean, what song? <laughs> I go, this one and that one and kind of, and he goes, wait a minute. And he literally goes, well, you're telling me you made enough money on those songs to pay off your house and that, and that land you bought? And I said, yeah, and I don't, just don't know what to do. And he, I hear him go, Christine! Come here! <laughs> and he calls uh, her in and goes, this thing is, He's actually, this thing is working. He is, right. <laughs> he's actually making money doing this hobby of his. Yeah. And it was, uh, but it was, uh, I think it just, that's, that's, so cool. that's when he first kind of lit up like, gum. You know, he was always, always been a proud dad no matter what you're doing. But then it went to another level going, man, my kid is, that's, he started paying attention to, that song is, uh, my kid wrote that song or whatever, you know, that type of stuff. There's nothing better than that validation. Yeah. That's the greatest yeah. validation there is that's when right. your old man is proud of yes. you and, and gets it that way. Yes, that's right. So that's right. Your kinda your 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 childhood and your professional life really intersected with Boys of Fall. Yeah. Like it was this it like, really did. crazy yeah. woven fabric. Yeah. That song shouldn't have worked. Right? I mean it's like a it, it's it's a niche kind of idea. Totally. Why did it work? It worked because Kenny, that period, hands down. I mean, the song was on, when I first wrote it, it we wrote it because I, wrote, I was sitting with a guy, Dave Turnbull, one day, and I smelled the grass literally coming, cut grass in October, coming through the window. We started talking about our days and football. Man, wasn't that the, the, the glory days, you know, and life and how it all makes sense on how football and teams just build character in every everybody. I, that's why I, I, we suggested for all of our children, our kids, they just play on team sports, you know. And you'll learn how to work and earn and, and, and grow with teammates and be selfless and everything, how life works. And I had a title in the back of my mind that uh, I was coaching my my kids and, and little Franklin Cowboys football. And I'd been doing it for a few years. And there was this one kid uh, that didn't come out this year. And I was co coaching my third boy, Clay's team. And he'd, he'd grown up playing with this group of kids. And one of them didn't show up this year. And I was like, called his dad. I said, what, what in the world? Where is he? He goes, man, he wants to play, wants to play baseball. Baseball? You don't play baseball in the fall, man. He can play baseball in the spring. And he's like, yeah, I know. It's crazy. And I go, and I'd call him. We'd talk, call, talk on the phone or he'd email me and go, yeah, da-da-da-da. He still doesn't want to change his mind. I said, I could use him. Is it too late? No, I could use him. 
I could use them. And then one night he he emailed me just to check in. He said, "So, how are my boys of fall? Fill me in. You know what's going on." And I, boys of fall, huh? And that stayed in my mind. So we, I said, Dave, that day sitting in the room, why don't we write about it? Let's just write about it. And, and uh, let's write about the boys of fall. And, and uh, he was like, awesome. So we wrote that song and uh, it had no really agenda or intentions for it. But uh, I know that the couple maybe you know, any pitches that it might have had or any, 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 the scrutiny on it was exactly that, you know. It's a, it's an ESPN commercial or it's some kind of commercial, but, or, or, or a bumper for something, but it's probably not, it's not a, it's not a radio song. Doesn't talk about girls and anything. It's like, and I literally was thinking, girls, are you kidding? There's a, there's a girl be, behind every boy of fall. It's a mother, it's a, yes. it's a sister, it's a, yes. it's a wife. I mean, I have gotten more, uh, you know, correspondence from that song than most any song I've ever had. And it's, and it's from moms that have put together videos of the end of the season and, and just talked about sitting in the stands worrying. I used to be the meal every Friday. Yeah, and I used to be the cheerleader. My boyfriend was the quarterback and I was the cheerleader and I was the blah, blah, blah. And, and it's just... It, it hit everybody, but that would never have happened if that light didn't go on in Kenny's head. What did he say to you? Uh, he just loved it. He just loved the song. He, uh, he's one of those that I'm grateful. It's a relationship that he's been a, just such a loyal, great person in my life. We kind of came up at the same time, and, and uh, he was built and made for the, the stage and that, and I was made for the just thinking and writing songs that's his place he's always had a that's his place and he's always had a just incredible vision and a, and a hunger to go do what he wants to do and uh, he I, I sent him the song because I could and he he's one of those guys there's a handful of guys in the business you could just send him a rough sketch of a song because they want to make it what they want to make it and he's one of those guys and what do you think of this and he was like man I love this. In fact, I'm going in the cut and a couple. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I was like, all right. And then uh, he ended up recording it, but I didn't know what to make of it. And then I remember I was in a writing appointment several months later, and he called me and he goes, "Man, I just got off a plane. I've been going back and forth around the, pretty much around the world, interviewing these guys." And, he goes, man, this thing's turned into a monster. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, I can't stop. I'm going to every, man, I, I'm, in, I'm getting to talk to coaches. It's turning, I can't wait for you to see what this has become. And I was like, what? Really? And it was just him and the, his passion. You know, he doesn't do anything. I mean, look what he's, you know, what he's created, you know, his, his company, his, his everything. It's crazy. It, and that became one of those things. And and when I, and I remember he invited everybody over, uh, oh, he let, and it, it was such a huge blessing in my life. So as he was putting this whole, it, it was gonna be a documentary, that's what he was making. And I don't know still if he thought it was gonna be a song for the radio. It was just gonna be that niche thing, the documentary of what football and life have in common. And he, and he called one day and he said, man, so now we're on the, Little League and high school level, we we were back in East Tennessee and we're back where Sean Silva's in, in town this weekend. Are there any, any, any of your kids playing anywhere or whatever? And CJ had, CJ was a sophomore uh, in high school. And, uh, and I, knew, I had a connection at the Franklin Cowboys. I go, yeah, he can go over there on, he can go to, High school games, you know, there's they're playing every Friday night, so you can go. I know some places you can go and good games. Well, where's CJ playing? I, I, I was like, you don't want to go to that game. <laughs> they're playing. They're not a great team, and and uh, CJ's getting his very first start tonight, and they're playing at MBA's 
homecoming. NBA is a, is a, is a bigger, all-boys, powerful football school that's won state championship. Like, they're like Brentwood Academy. Those, them and the MUSs of you know, Memphis University School, they always compete for the, the big thing at the end of the year. We were playing at their homecoming, and you, when you get booked as a homecoming <laughs> team, you know why. So we can have so, so and CJ's first start, and I was like, "No, you don't want to do that." Well, it'd be easy if blah blah blah. You can get us on the field. And I was like, "Go ahead." Well, it turns out, you know, so they filmed all this stuff, and it couldn't. It was crazy, man. It turned out they ended up winning the Literally game. Literally a so movie it, script. It was. Yeah. It worked out exactly like like I couldn't have planned it. They went and um, it was his first start, a little scrawny sophomore kid trying to get in a shot his first play from scrimmage was a drop back and he got blindsided by this uh, you know division one commit fumbled the ball they lost it on the he got it rolled to the two-yard line the next play NBA scores it's seven nothing before the game started because my son got blindsided sacked and I was like oh my golly this is not good <laughs> anyways the whole script turned upside down, and CJ had a great night. The team played lights out, ended up winning 17-14, and it was an incredible night. And that that celebration is still in that in that in that documentary of him as a just that, that his blockhead bowl cut hair would do <laughs> celebrating after the game. And I'll have it forever, you know. And I'm forever grateful for Kenny for putting that whole thing together, but. When it was all said and done, it was an hour long something, and, and we got to go over to Kenny's house and when he presented it to us all and to uh, to all the you know the people that he, he was going to try to promote it to, and I got to sit there and I just I'm glad the lights were out. You You're know? emotional right now. Yeah, I it's, can tell, it's man. hard, man. It's a uh, yeah, it's a uh, it was you know. It was incredible, and I owe all that to Kenny, and I think it was just a wave of what that song was doing. It had to go to radio, mm -hmm. you know. You've written monsters for him. So many artists in town. Yeah. McGraw, right? All yeah. of them. But I feel like your soulmate is Eric Church. Yes. Right. You Eric. guys are a, a union that is historic. Yeah. You're a union that is the rarest of, yeah. of the rare collaborations. You work in great synergy together. Yeah. What is it about him that works so well with, with your soul and your heart? Well, he's a, uh, he's just such a, a grounded family, real guy. Um, I am, uh, you know, Again, for I don't think there's any coincidences coincidences in any of it. Every meeting I've had with all of my any best friends or any loyal people in my life, God has put in my life like the, my wife. When I'm you know that way, how in the world does that happen? How in the world does it happen that I'm walking by an office and one of my publishers said, "Hey, I need you to listen to this kid. He's thinking about moving to Nashville." He doesn't have, he's got these little work tapes. We listened to it and he played me a, a song that he wrote before he even moved to Nashville called Lightning. It was one of the best songs I've ever heard, you know, and I, and I could just hear him and I hear the, I just knew right then the uniqueness, the art artist in this guy. He wasn't writing what was going on. Right. And that just drew me, sucked me right in. I was like, yeah, I don't know who he is, but I'm, but I'm in. And we struck, we just struck a friendship up immediately because he's so so humble, he's so real, and such a great guy. Even to this day, um, you know, uh, his family. Uh, I love, I just love everything about his relationship with his family, his parents, his wife, his kids. That stuff is important, and that's just been, that was passed down to me. Family, and being real and honest and loyal is and humble uh, is important and I think we just that's how we hit it off I didn't know what would ever happen with him but I loved what he how he thought and what he what he would write 
because he was fearless even then. And uh, it's it, in a in a it's this town's always been those, a town of chasers. You know the, you know I want to do what what's going what's going on. That's the easiest thing to do, but to uh, do what you were gifted to do is hard. It's a hard road, and uh, that's where he immediately was, and what I immediately saw in him, and it attracts people like me who. Who couldn't, who, who had a record deal and was wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I made a record that way. But they said you can't do that, and and I went along with it and was like, all right, I'm all right, then I'm out. But he had the fortitude and everything else, the vision of going. No, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm with you, and um, and I, I just am grateful. That's what kept me in this in this whole business as long as the idea of going uh, I know that I have an outlet um, of a true artist that is not afraid to say some say things that I know that I have in me you know because he might feel it too and and I, and I can bounce ideas off him that maybe others would be afraid to write or wouldn't go there because it doesn't sound like the same thing and, but beyond that, it's just, uh, I mean, Eric behind all the stuff, he's just, he's a, he's just a gigantic hearted, goofy, <laughs> great guy and a smart guy. And, um, and, uh, I'm just so, so grateful to have been, to, to call him a friend. Same. There are very few people in my life who've had the depth of impact in my life that he has. Yes. And I felt that way before I ever knew him. And that was 15, 16 years yeah. ago when we met. And uh, I don't make a major life decision without asking his opinion. Yeah. And it, that's just the highest testament I could give somebody. Yes. And to my knowledge, in his catalog, there are two songs that he's ever cut and put on an album that he did not have a pen in. Right. Like Jesus does and Leonard Skinner Jones. Right. And they're both yours. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, uh, you know, he, he said something, Casey, shifting gears a little bit to Clay. And, you know, he, he, he marveled when you went up to, to Banner Elk, um, a broken man. Yeah. And you guys wrote Hell of a View. Right. And that song is the most beautiful thing. It's the most beautiful piece of art. And he lauded your ability to channel, your yeah. ability to take hurt but find joy and light. Yes. I don't know how you do what you do and the way that you're living this testimony, but I, I would just like to give you the floor and ask you, with everything that you and your family have gone through following Clay's death, how are you able to keep light? Uh, I mean, it's probably not. It sounds like a, uh, uh, maybe a scripted answer, but I, I don't think it was just Jesus. It sounds, it sounds simple to say, but I, I, I uh, you, I don't think you could walk back into a house after coming home from a hospital like that. And you know, I thought I was walking with the Lord. I thought I was doing right things and good things, and 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 keeping Him in my life. And as a, you know, maybe a genie in a bottle sometimes, and all that, and all those things that you pray for, and all those things, but. It was that once one of those things hits, uh, when a, a trial like that comes into your life, I, I, I would call it for 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 a father, it's a uh, worst uh, possible scenario case. It's a, there's nothing worse than getting a phone call like that in the middle of the night and. Um, I remember walking back in the house at 
seven in the morning after the, coming home from the hospital and just going, what now? And, uh, uh, and I'm grateful for uh, the strong people in my life. My pastor, who I don't think it's any coincidence that a year, years before that, that I ended up in that church and he went through the same thing. And I, I couldn't even grasp it. And I remember how broken he was. And, um, and I couldn't grasp how, how, how really heavy it was, how hard it was, how broken you could be. But I felt for him, but I didn't know, I don't think I felt for him until that moment. I was like, oh my goodness. And he showed up and, and started pointing to me about the realness. It literally was the realness of, of finding out that how real heaven and God are and going through scripture and and knowing that Clay talking to my wife and my kids when we're sitting in the living room that talking about his life and who what Jesus meant to him I had to know more about that and his salvation because maybe I took it for granted and we went through the channels and all the stuff and uh, and once I knew that really he was saved and I found truly what salvation meant and that and my pastor got dug, we dug more and more into scripture. We just spent the rest. It started there. Here's another crazy thing. I have a gate in my house because I live so far off the road. Uh, and in all the years I'd had that, that, that gate had never broken. But about a week before Clay went to heaven, it broke and I couldn't close it. And my wife was like, we gotta get that fixed. And I said, I know, but it's near Christmas time. I can't get anybody out here, it's just whatever. And that happened and I know when that night happened, I know Susan and I know me and I think we'd wanna just be left alone. I'd have closed that gate and kept people out. If you wanna come by, I didn't even know the, the, the customary thing to do, people coming by and dropping things off. And, and I'm, you know, I, I learned about it, but they, I would have, we would have been recluses, you know, we would have just gone, stayed by ourselves and, and probably gotten lost. I don't know what would have happened, but all I do know that happened is that gate didn't close. So people started showing up at our door and just loving us and bringing stuff and just listening and crying with us and including Eric and uh, and Catherine and these people are sitting in our living room and we're talking about what the truth is and when you really start I'd never been that close I'd never had to be forced into a situation of finding an answer and uh, and me I'm so uh, you know that's what I, when I get my mind on something, I got to do it. I can't, when I'm writing a song, I got to finish it. It stays in my mind. But all I could think of is, okay, what's this veil thing? And how far is heaven? And what is it? And I, and, and I need to know. And once I came, when I realized that when the Lord was comfort, comforting me, no, he's, I've got him. He's with me. And I know, and I see it in scripture, and it says that, that those, uh, when these tents are gone, these bodies, when more mortality is gone, and we are and, and and we are swallowed up by life, I was like, wait a minute. So we kind of go from the truth is you go from death to life, not life to death. And I was just like, this doesn't stop. We are in eternity. We just go to a different place. We go from here to there. And I hadn't been seeing Clay, and Clay, and I think of all of his words and what he'd been talking about in the last months before that. And we're going, hey, hey buddy, why don't you come over for Thanksgiving? He said, no, I'm up here, and it's not time enough. I, I, I'm going to go to my buddy's house. I like going over there, meeting these people, and blah, blah, blah. And he'd always say, he's, you know, he'd always, he was such an independent guy. He'd go, no, don't worry about me. I'll see you down the road. Don't worry about me, Dad. 
I said, Mom, don't worry about it. I'm staying here. I'm going here. Don't worry about me. I'll see you down the road. And, uh, and I think about that. And that's who he was. And, um, and I know uh, in all that brokenness, that's what he would say. And, uh, and I would, any one of us in our family would trade our spot, but that would have been a selfish thing. So you would bring him back so he could be miserable here. Thinking about one of us gone, you would rather that. You'd want him to suffer? No. So uh, I, that was all the conversation. And it's going, no, he's gone. He's good. And the impact, if you had gone to, like Eric and Catherine did, go and these, there's so many people at this celebration of life, I can't even think of. There must have been 2,000 people there. And I think of the impact that his life made on the people in New York where this last school he was going to, where he ended up, where they started a Bible study, and he was impacting kids there for Christ there that I had no idea about. But I found out later when all these kids from Long Island come down to his celebration of life and give their life to Christ at his celebration. That's not coincidence. But, and I see what God's doing in it, and I know that in everything I try to do here on earth, I've, I've never been fully, totally fulfilled by it. Everything I've chased on this earth, and we all chase, at the end of the day, don't we always go, okay, now what? It just has never satis- been satisfying. It's never fulfilled me, and, and we're not going to get out of here alive, you know. We're all living in eternity. We're going somewhere. And, and why can't I be fulfilled? And that's just more confirmation that it's because we were made, we were made for Him. We were made for our Father in heaven. And we're only going to find pleasure in pleasing Him and whatever. And that's, that's, where, that's where I realized it's coming to grips with that's where He is. And uh, this can't be all there is. And that's where I'm so thankful that my, me and my family went. In fact, that I, it wasn't far into it that I found some forgiveness and, for this kid. You even went to his trial, right? Well, yeah, and they, we haven't even had the trial yet. We went well, to, his, to his preliminary his thing. Yeah. And I got a chance to see him sitting over there. And I looked at him, and I went, Man, this kid is lost. And I heard about his story. And I wanted to hate him so bad, but you said something interesting in the start of this whole interview when you said there's nothing like that confirmation from a father, that validation from a father. And that kid never had it. He didn't have an earthly father. They've, he's been pawned off from this guy to that guy to that guy, not never really loved. Until this, till a group of, you know, wrong side or bad, whatever people that bad influences took him in and acted like they loved him and told him, if you'll do this, these things, you'll be loved by this group. And he was looking for validation and found it in the wrong place. And I thought, man, this guy never had a father, let alone a, let alone a heavenly father. And if, and, and I know that. And, I, and if I ever get a chance to talk to him, and, I, and not until he's sentenced and, and this trial really happens, and that was just a preliminary What deal. would you say to him? I would, I would tell him that, I would tell him that God loves him. He's a child of God. I don't care what he's done on this earth, because I've run the gamut of chasing everything on this earth, trying to, trying to find satisfaction and, and be loved and think I could be fulfilled by everything, man. He's, you know, I've sinned and still sinned the worst of any of them. And the, the Lord looks at him as much as he looks at anybody, you know, like the apple of his eye. But he doesn't know it. And um, if you could come to that realization of how much our Father love, loves us, you know, I think, I happen to think that's the answer to all of the world's problems 
you know, it just takes all the division out of everything, you know, that he loves you just like you are and just come to him like you are. And um, when I got to go, I wasn't ready to go up to the mountains of, of North Carolina when I was scheduled to go. I needed time, and, and Catherine and Eric were so, just so gracious in that situation. And it came a time where I felt I, I was in a place where I need to I need to get out of here and just get you know I can do it I can get away and just be a and just get around people and 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 hopefully I you know my wife and my kids will be okay you know that we've got a we've got church going on here at the house they've got each other and I could go there and I think I could be used there as a light I don't know what do you want me to do Lord and I and I and I felt it was fine and my wife said you need to go. And I got in that place, and you're looking at this view, and I know it wasn't. It's not coincidence, man. He, he set me up in a place with window with a view. You talk about a hell of a view. It's just like that's what it was. And I just my thing is going out and walking or running or working out whatever every day, and that was just awesome. I didn't know how I would react or be, but but I'd already seen Eric, so that awkwardness was already broken. And, I, and, and, and such a great thing about it was that he had just walked through a lot of that stuff with his brother prior, right, right before that, trying to find some purpose in all of it, trying to find some redemption in any of it. And we, and that was just, that was awesome, being able to share our stories and, and what we thought. And just, I've never really talked about God on that level with him, and it was so awesome. And, and, and Catherine, and, you know, being able to talk like that with her, you know, and it just, it was just such a light, it was such an awesome, I don't even know, I mean, it, it, it's, you don't even know where it comes from. I know where it comes from, but you can't even explain, how did I get there? How could I do that? I don't know, it was just had to be the Lord. He, he comforted me, you know. You're such a light. It's remarkable to anybody who's ever been in your sphere and people you're never going to meet. Yes. That you could find that level of peace in that context. Uh, it's remarkable, Casey, and thank you for your example. I'll speak for the whole freaking world because I know, I know that I wouldn't have that grace. To show that type of grace is the rarest trait. And... I appreciate you sharing that with everybody and, and living your testimony. Uh, I've kept you too long already, but we'll end on a lighter note. Yeah. I'm going to interview Red Akins after a while. Okay. And he called me on the telephone the other day, and he said, Hey, I need to talk to you about something, Leonard Skinner Jones. I said, Okay. <laughs> and so we're talking about it. He goes, I know every Skinner, so I know everything. I'm a Skinner expert. I know it all. I know where every song's going. It's what I do for a living. He said, when I heard Eric sing, my name is Curtis Lowe, I wanted to take my telephone and I wanted to put it in the toilet and flush it. And he said, I wanted to leave town. Yeah. He goes, how the hell does that man do that? Uh, you're brilliant. And, and I'm so grateful for you and, and your place in my life and your friendship and your example. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you oh, for spending man. time sharing your life with That's, us. Hey. I mean, it, we, we're going to have to do it again because yes. there's so much more I want to talk about. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for Thank the man you, you so are. Thank you so much. Oh, golly. Thank you. Thank you for being the man you are. I truly don't know how Casey has that level of grace. I don't know how he has that level of forgiveness. It's an inspiration to me that's beyond my ability to articulate, and I'll tell you guys a story. I sent, I called Casey after Clay's passing and I didn't know what to say and I left him a message and I just told him I loved him and if there's anything we could possibly do please don't hesitate to reach out and he sent me a text message back that was a hundred plus words long that was so selfless and so vulnerable about the testimony that Clay was living and the testimony that Clay was now in death and I was so taken aback by that then, and I'm still so moved by that now. I'm so grateful for Casey's vulnerability and the lessons that he's taught me 
and the lessons that he shared with us here in the Outsider Studios. This is the Marty Smith Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Be well. Mm -hmm.